0: Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and thanks for joining me for episode 79 of Inside Agriturve. Now my guest today is Jeff Webb, CEO of the Grounds Management Association, the GMA, and organisers of the annual Saltex show, now in its 76th year. Now this episode is really in two parts and covers two challenging years, both for the association and for Jeff personally. In the first part, Jeff talks about the impact that the pandemic had on the GMA as it faced up to the uncertainties and subsequent cancellation of its showpiece event, a major contributor to its finances. He also talks about the impact that the cancellation of sports during the pandemic had on his members. And for the second part, it was appropriate that I recorded this episode on World Mental Health Awareness Day as we talk about how the build-up of pressures almost certainly resulted in a deterioration in Jess's mental and general health. He talks with clarity and openness and a great deal of self-deprecating humour about how we got lost on a walk. We nearly went walkabout in a busy road and his trip to hospital when the paramedics in the ambulance really only wanted to discuss the turf at Wembley. This is a highly enlightening episode with some important messaging. So, Jeff, many thanks for joining me. Now, if, if we go back to the spring of 2020 and Boris Johnson has just announced a lockdown and you have pretty well sold out Saltex in November, uh, what next?
1: All the exhibition industry was called together to look at the potential impact of coronavirus and the pandemic. And they had a preeminent scientist who was looking at the trends and they had an economist who was looking at the trends. And the scientist said, this could go on longer than you think and the economists mm-hmm. said this will be over by july and if it is we'll all be um experience a quick peak but then back to business again and of course as we know it went on for over two years so what did your uh, opinion of economists <laughs> well yes you, as you know they seem to be split don't they depending on which economist you want to go to
0: absolutely uh, and and for, um, for you you would have had a a successful show in 2019 and would have been well advanced in your plans for the 2020 sortex of show. And I guess that meant sort of returning a lot of the money that had already been paid and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we we put in what we called internally a pandemic recovery plan. I think like everybody else, we, we looked at the options and tried to discuss it openly with the exhibition world that we were working within. And also make sure that that we treated our customers that come to Soltex with with respect and openness. And as you know, we offered everybody a refund. As things transpired, we we did try and look at a, uh, a rescheduled date. But obviously, the pandemic was still taking a grip of everything. And it just proved impossible. So we went for the decision to issue refunds. That, in our case, was uh, a substantial six-figure sum uh, going straight back out of the door. But we don't really class it as our, our money anyway until one shows past and the next one begins. So in, in terms of the way we handled it, we gave people the options and provided, I think, a, a, a good and fair offer for those that stuck with us and kept some deposits in, that sort of thing. And then we had to look at, like every other business, what do we do now? And it wasn't just obviously the trade show that was affecting our ability to operate as an organisation. You know, our raising detra is to educate and train people. And I think people forget that, you know, the main reason that we run Soltex is so that we can offer the sort of expansive programs that we do, investing and advocating on behalf of the, the industry and, and helping people. So we couldn't hold face to face classes, which were all about training. Um and we had to come up with a plan, which comes back to this pandemic recovery plan we put in place. Luckily, we had good reserves. We took that decision to give everybody their money back. Uh, Many, many people took that, and for obvious reasons, we understood that. We then decided to turn all our education courses that weren't online at that point into online courses. So we now have, I think it's 15 up and running from a standing start two years ago of, of zero. Yeah. So it's about agi- being agile, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, and thinking on your feet. And presumably, uh, as an organisation, uh, whilst you're significant, you're small enough to be uh, agile and, and and be able to make quick decisions.
1: Yeah, I think it was, um, we, we've we got a very good board and, and we have a good working relationship. I mean, I personally work very closely with our, our chair, but, but the whole board is made up of people who have the best interests of the industry. Uh, represent the various sectors so I think it's important to sort of put across to your listeners that you know our board is made up of people that are practicing in in grounds care in some medium whether that's um, as a grounds manager and um, we've got people like Neil Stubley from Wimbledon Dave Robert we've got Adrian Kay at York Racecourse James Wright at, at Leeds University uh, We've we've got people representing the various sectors and then we've got beyond that board members that Have got good uh, business backgrounds and can take good strategic decisions. So at that point in time, you're looking at the finances purely and simply because you're in the business then of making sure that you're looking after your team of people, your staff, and the longevity of the association alongside that. What was the,
0: uh, what was the, attitude and experiences of your members during that very strange year of 2020, when uh, we were in lockdown, nobody was quite sure what was going on. And, and the likes of Carmel at Lord's was, was cutting the outfield of preparing pitches, not knowing whether they were ever going to be played on. And Neil Stubbley, of course, at, at Wimbledon uh, was in the same position. If, if, if you take the broad swathe of your members, was there a great deal of furloughing going on? Were Were they protected in that way?
1: Um, I I think you did find skeleton staff being put into operation in the majority of cases. Um, I I won't single out any one operation because, you know, we're literally talking about thousands of grounds at at all levels. So whether you're working in a university or an independent school, whether you're working at at Wembley Stadium or, as you said, uh, Wimbledon, etc. I think everybody just had to manage through a very, very difficult situation. But I think what what did happen is that employers who perhaps, let's say, morally didn't have the best interests of ground staff at heart used it as a very good opportunity to save cash, so yeah. purely and simply, pr- probably at the downfall of the deterioration of the surface itself. Um, so that puts huge demands if you're in that situation and you have an employer like that. But it was very interesting that you could see almost attitudes of employers out there taking very different stances on this sort of thing but overall i think what happened was ground staff simply stepped up to the challenge and to the task and those that were able to to carry out the function of the role did it fantastically well the casualty of that i think is probably hours worked work-life balance and making sure that um you know these, these staff were looked after and if they had had furlough situations, bringing those staff back into play as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, it, it must have be been very frustrating for them because, uh, you know, they, they prepare pitches for. Uh, the roar of the crowd shall i say and and, and which must give them a buzz once they produced a pitch or a court or whatever and and the whole reason detract of doing that is it is, is for the enjoyment of players and spectators and, and to not have that I, I don't know whether you caught up with a a series on uh, bt sport called after the roar with brian odriscoll who who sort of just it's it's not the same circumstances jeff but it was the, the impact on him mentally of 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 having to uh, switch off and not do anything on the Saturday afternoon. Okay, he might be broadcasting, but it wasn't the same. And I guess in some way that might have been the case with uh, some of the groundsmen who who missed that roar of the crowd.
1: Well, I think some of them probably have been overworked anyway, so they probably going <laughs> the break. But I, I think what you've got is it's a mentality that is just there. It, it just pervades, from what I can see, every aspect of delivery of the sports surface in this country is, is pride in your work. And and I think what came through was is not letting that pitch fail to a pandemic. Actually, you know, it was the most challenging circumstance that I think any of us has faced in generations, not just a generation. Yeah. So I, I think there was real pride and almost an inbuilt stubbornness to ride every challenge and actually still maintain those services. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. we found interesting, we we did grounds week for the first time in 2021 which was really a social media-led campaign to raise the profile of the sector. And of course, all the sports journalists who normally commentate on the players and the game itself had nothing to write about. And we found that that opportunity was was absolutely brilliant for us. It got our message across loud and wide. And we deliberately targeted, you know, coffee morning sort of magazines, for, for example. Uh, we went a bit lateral thinking on it and, and targeted mothers of young children who may be turning up at their community sports club that year just to encourage them to think about how that pitch was delivered in the first place so it wasn't all about at the top end of of sport it was actually all the way through to your local community facility and hammering home the message how vital the role of ground staff are or the volunteer army that, that exists out here are to your local sports facility so much in the same way you know, the parks and recreation movement are fighting restrictions that are seem ever more burdensome in terms of uh, greener space management. We're fighting our corner for the sports sector as well.
0: In, in, indeed. I mean, I think I read somewhere you had 54 million hits or something. Have those hits been turned into uh, actual practical, practical advantages in terms of uh, awareness and possible employment in this industry?
1: I think the resonance of is, is and recognition for what we do as as an industry it's not it's not just actually the the ground staff. It's it, I, I'd include the ho- i brigade the whole industry in this. So the suppliers of machinery, grass seed, that that knowledge and understanding of of the technology that lies behind it, I do think has gone up in terms of um, awareness. It's it's an ongoing beating of the drum that that you have to do. You know one. One grounds week, as they say, doesn't make a summer. You've got to keep at it. So I think you have to do the formal advocacy work that we do throughout the year uh, as much as you do the sort of publicity-led statements that, that are things like grounds week or or having a shop window like Soltex, which, again, you know, does enable us to invite a lot of people of influence into the the halls at Soltex to see what's on offer. And And I think quite often... The reaction I get from people who haven't engaged before is is one of shock and awe. Actually,
0: mm, yeah. And uh, so looking back, I mean, for all the uh, negative things and, and and dreadful things about the pandemic and, and lockdown, uh, do you look that it uh, actually? Uh, created opportunities for you that you might not have well you you would have taken perhaps earlier than you might have done because i guess bringing uh training online might have been something you would have been doing in the future because of uh, time restraints and similarly uh mounting a, an awareness campaign so that gave you the opportunity did it that uh that particular period
1: i think it's really ironic um there are still debates about what's the best way to run an office in a post-pandemic <laughs> world And and I think it's going to be an ongoing debate, actually. In our case, what what we've found is we were pretty much working remotely from home, all of us. I mean, I'm talking to you today from my home. That's my contract. My office is my home. We've always been pretty agile because we had a network of uh, regional staff anyway. But we have a core team working in our office in Milton Keynes. Um, But we give them options. So if they want to come in, they can come in. If they don't want to come in, that's okay. And what we tend to look at is, is there any deterioration in performance if you're working from home? And I think it has to be a choice. And employers are going to have to be able to be flexible in in the packages that they give to staff. And I think what's changed is people want more than just a salary now. And obviously, that's a prevalent issue, if not the most prevalent issue in the whole of sports turf grounds management. And And I think it's the same across Horticulture is the profession is seriously underpaid, and we are trying to do things around that, and we continue to to have that at the forefront of our strategic sector. But um, it, it's it's a tough climb because you're coming from a very low base to improve upon people's overall packages. But I think also there's an attitudinal change that needs to take place at the higher echelons of sport, and I, I am talking. You know in in top class professional sports leagues i think you've got individual businesses with individual chairmen at the very top of these trees that don't quite get sometimes the importance of paying a fair rate of pay but also treating people in in a modern world through hr conditions in the right way so hours worked ridiculous in some cases. We know that from the research that we've done. Rates of pay vary a lot. And I think one of the issues we've got on the sports turf side, slightly differently to the greenkeeping side, is we have to go to each sport on a case-by-case basis. They, they all have slightly different starting and end points to how they've arrived at how they pay people and how they look after people in the modern day and age. So we're having lots of discussions with all the different sports. We've just, for the first time, working with Premiership Rugby, actually, have got a benchmarking programme up and running where we're doing the research at the moment for full implementation next year. But that really is is the benchmark that you need. And one of the other things that we're working on bringing to the market um, in the not-too-distant future is what we now call a grounds management framework as well. And to explain that briefly, it's a combination of how you assess a facility and the standards the scope and range of facilities and the grounds team's skills and requirements as a result of the scope of that facility so as you can imagine how you compare an independent school to Wembley Stadium or uh, Netherwallet Cricket Club to I don't know Wimbledon for example there's quite a range in that so we've been working quite diligently for probably three years now just trying to break down all the little nuances to make something that will make sense to people and bring a i think a tangible benefit so that you can see where you are in that if you like if you call it a christmas tree approach you can see where you sit you can compare to others and hopefully we we can start to cut out bad practice in certain terms of certain job adverts which sometimes we, we've seen them come up on our our website that you just know are are not good packages they shouldn't be offering the salaries that they are at the rates they do so there's a lot of disquiet frustration we know that and we're trying to handle that by bringing together a framework that everybody can then tap into so you can see what qualifications you might need you can see what um level you need to attain to get to be the next manager at wimbledon the the grounds manager at lords or wherever it is if that's your aspiration
0: uh, and there's, it's one of the major issues that you face, and then Jeff, um, is diversity in all its meanings, really, uh, in in both from race and uh, age and sex. Um, looking at your your stats in your your annual survey, ninety seven percent of your work work as a male, and uh, uh, I think fall into the what is it, maybe forty five to fifty five category, something like that. It's, it's
1: probably 55 plus, actually, but really? in terms of, yeah, I mean, that, the, the research is the research. When, when you break down sort of the coverage of, of what we're talking about, you're looking at, at around, in, in the sports sector, you're probably looking at about 16,500 employees. And probably if you add golf to that, you probably add, add another sort of just over 8,000, I think. And yes, it, it's dominated by white male operations. That's not to decry a white male. It just happens to be where the industry started from. But again, it it would be wrong of us not to highlight the fact that the percentages are so low. If you look at the representation in the country of black and ethnic minority representation, as an example, that's roughly 15%. Well, we're, we're probably less than 1%. So we have to ask the questions, why is that? Similarly, with with female representation, which is obviously roughly 50% of the country, we're at 2%. Again, Mm. what's what's the barriers? Why are we at 2% are the questions that that we're trying to raise. And I think it's going to be a combination of things that drive that discussion uh, or drive those percentages up. It's not going to be turned around overnight, but I think we've all got to take an open mind to the fact that that is an issue. And we have to do something about the issue in front of us and deal with that. So sometimes I can see you go you go into some forums within this sector, and, and it's almost like an elephant in the room discussion. But I think we've got to address the elephant in the room, and we've got to be responsible. Uh,
0: and I guess if if your average age is around the fifty five mark uh, and mainly male, that's an area where uh, manual work becomes more onerous and difficult, and and also maybe those people in that category are more susceptible to to well-being issues and mental issues and so on and so forth uh, it, it, they may I, I always think that the ground staff are a very pragmatic lot and um they, they tend to shrug off things when uh, they maybe ought to be taking a little bit more care of themselves is it is that a fair analysis
1: uh, unfortunately i don't think it it's as you get older i think i think what the biggest killer of of young males is um suicide under mm. 45 I, th- I think in particular what's happened in the last three years is is the stresses and strains of a pandemic have accelerated things. I mean, you asked me about my situation. I, I talked quite openly and, and wrote a, um, an article on, on this about a year ago. I don't think we're very good at having an open conversation. So I think we need to allow conversations to happen. As recently as last week, in fact, this time last week, I took a call from a member who Told me, and he reached out to me simply by email that he was suicidal. Really? And I think sometimes there's a stigma attached to the topic. It kind of denotes illness. And if you like, there are cynics out there that see it that way. Um, because as you say, we're, we're kind of head down, get on with it, shrug the shoulders, mm. and take everything that's thrown at you. I'm not sure in this modern world, everybody wants to just do that anymore. And I think you've got to be aware that 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 is something and 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 really I think one of the the things that holds people back in a conversation is no one should have to face a mental health problem alone and I think many people feel that because of the stigma that may may exist that you carry that alone you know in my in my case i ironically I got to a point where I didn't realize I was um in quite as bad a state as I actually was, because I was literally taking on the burden of managing our association in a pandemic. And at the same time, in my case, and and um, ha- having to sort of look after a, a dying father who was at, at the point of dying of a combination of lung and brain cancer. I remember spending a month becoming his carer because the local hospice couldn't take him because this is through the pandemic. And at the point of his death, I was taking a, a phone call about a communications issue for the for the GMA, so missed the point of the father dying, having been there for a month looking after him. Mm. And th- those things tend to take a toll on you in the end. Uh,
0: and presumably, um, unfortunately, because of lockdown, I understand you won't be able to, you won't be able to mark his death in the way that uh, it, it has been normal in recent years because of lockdown restrictions.
1: We we had a a, a videoed cremation, mm. purely and simple, with mm. friends and family that, that couldn't come. So yeah. but I think for me it was a tipping point in terms of a bit later actually, because we didn't really know until probably October in twenty one whether we could even run Soltex either. I think it really was COP twenty six was the thing that, that lit up the exhibition industry because once we knew COP twenty six had gone ahead with Boris and the whole world turning up, down in Cornwall, I think it was, then you knew you could put on an exhibition. But you also had that sense of responsibility for, or I I take that burden very strongly and seriously for my own team of staff at, at the GMA, and also because you feel a responsibility for the industry to get the show on. And Did
0: you during twenty twenty one and you talk about saltex and obviously there was uncertainty and saltex is a big, major milestone in your your year every year and and obviously takes not a lot of physical work but a lot of mental thinking. Um, were you aware of of your own if you like deteriorating mental state?
1: I think people working close to me, who I'm friendly with, noticed the stresses and strains. I think you can get into an ever-decreasing circle without realising it. But physically, which is it was probably more physical for me than mental, to be quite honest. I, it was a week out from Saltex, so I was up locally on a walk with my, my wife, who's got a really good capacity for getting lost and managed to do that on, on this particular walk. But we'd gone up quite a steep hill and got to the top and I, I thought I was a bit out of breath. I, I do have asthma, so sometimes I, I get out of breath. <laughs> We put it down to maybe a panic attack because I was worrying about the outcome of the show coming up. Forgot about it. My wife Julie got us lost and we walked 10 kilometres more than we should have done before we got back down. Then turned up during the week. Show went really, really well. It was a fantastic event. Following weekend was my daughter's graduation up in Newcastle. Drove back from that on the Tuesday, I think it was, and I woke up on the Wednesday morning in the morning basically I thought I had a bit of a head cold and then things escalated and it wasn't until I was standing in A&E. Ironically actually I walked into the the ambulance and they asked me what I did for a living so I told them (laughs) the paramedics had just been on a tour of Wembley Stadium and were were praising the turf at the stadium so I I, I had a kind of working trip um, into the hospital talking about the turf industry so nothing ever stopped but um no, in my, in my case, I was told I'd had a heart attack. And, and
0: I understand was, you actually walked into A&A, a, did you? I mean, yeah, no, I, I, it was,
1: d- you know, it wasn't one of these dramatic, you know, uh,
0: bells scream and whistles
1: upstairs and falling over. I had lots of um, probes on me and things like that, but walked in and never lost consciousness or anything. So I, did, no. I can't say, I feel a bit of a fraud. I can't say it was a bad experience because it wasn't. No. But there's a, blood test they do when you have these things i never knew this before but it's this is if anybody has this your troponin levels get raised and the way that they can track that is normally you're about 0.40 and i was told mine was 11,392 which is from that day forward my lucky number <laughs> um, so um yeah that meant i was in cardio ward in the hospital and then within the space of a month i'd had two operations and two stents so yeah, which, then, uh,
0: which i understand you watch live on television
1: yeah that was that was a i mean you do feel a bit like uh, frankenstein's monster laying on a, <laughs> on a slab talking to the consultant operating on you because it was a bit of a shock but you weren't being put to sleep but actually it was fascinating it was on a big hd yeah. screen unfortunately it wasn't in color i probably would have enjoyed color but i think you know the the moment really for me was the second operation where I actually didn't know whether I was going to need a second stent or not until I was actually being operated on. That's the way it kind of works. And they said, yes, you do. And they did it. And suddenly you see what was two white lines being filled by a big black line. And that's your blood flow coming back into your arteries. And I thought I'm a lucky guy. Is actually Spooky. What then you're on onto the, the recovery program.
0: Uh, Jeff, do you, do you put down uh, that episode, your heart attack and the operations you had really as a, as a result of the previous two years um, buildup of, of stress and pressures?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say is if anybody feels anything in their body, as, especially as a man in middle age, don't be afraid to ring up the paramedics to come and check you out because it could be a heart attack. So that that's the warning. I think It's a difficult one because there's a history of um, heart disease in my family, but at a lot later in life. So I think some families are, you know, hereditary in in danger because they've got it in their family. But I think I got it accelerated by the pressure that had been applied during that period. And that's what the feedback from consultants were. So one of the things I did, and, and I'm one of those that would have said, just rub it off and get on with life. They offered a, what called, what's called a CBD course as part of the recovery program. So you do physical and mental recovery. And, and I just found it very useful. It just gave a bit of structure to things. And it was good to talk to somebody independently because what people don't see is the knock-on effect to people around you that like you and love you. You know, it could be, you know, family, friends, obviously, um, they feel the pressure of somebody who's probably feeling the pressure because they want you to be well. So I, th- I think that's why you've got to have an open conversation. And like I say, I think it's, it's making sure that you, that you can uh, separate that work and personal life when you're working remotely, especially which is what we were doing and how you then come back from that. Uh, in my case, there was a very low spot where I, I I was at a point of, ironically, I stepped out potentially across a road next to a cemetery, which I call the dead center of where I live. But then immediately I thought, this is a really stupid way to end your life because it was an Okado lorry with a big grapefruit on the side of it. And I thought, <laughs> death by grapefruit is not going to get me today. <laughs> and um you know the, you just then look at yourself and actually have to self-question yourself well if if you're feeling this this low why is that what what is it that's caused you to to get to that point and that's why i've I've talked very openly about it um you know i know probably it'll be the end of my career nobody probably employ me because of the stigmas <clears> around this conversation but hey i've got enough bro- of broad shoulders over the years just to sort of carry that that weight and if it helps have, by having this conversation, others out there. Then that's what I'm trying to do with it. Simple as that.
0: And presumably, it was a, it was a great. You, you've got a, a good team at the GMA, um, and um, obviously, they had extra uh, workup because how long would you after you had your operation? Where how long were you off work? Shall we say?
1: Um, I think it was about. I, I came back just around BTME, so I went to BTME, where I called COVID. three of my staff
0: oh (laughs) i'm Uh, glad we're doing this remotely you know
1: (laughs) there's no blame attached to that by the way but uh in in terms of uh actual coverage probably about four months and then i I came back over a period of uh i think the next two months on a part-time basis yeah but i i have to say one, one of the funny things is you go to these physical exercise classes and it was an Aldershot cricket club. So I spent the time <laughs> during these classes looking at the, the cricket pitch outside, waiting to see where the, where the ground staff were. I didn't see many, actually. So if you're out there, you've got a great cricket pitch, by the way. But, yeah, I, I kind of got into this twice a week session with people from all walks of life and people younger than me. I mean, I was 59 when it happened to me. Um, and there's such a range of people in this thing so i'm actually contemplating writing either a sitcom or or a, a little book which working title is called it's a heartache but you'll have to wait for that and see if it ever ever transpires <laughs> i've got the basis for some characters based on that experience
0: if you look um generally throughout your membership as a gma through ground staff how big an issue is it i mean are you are you aware and now more aware of some of the pressures on on your members people who work in grounds care do do you get much feedback from the members on on these kind of well-being issues
1: yeah i mean i've i've been going to turf business summits for quite a long time and there's been a lot of conversations within that forum um on this particular subject and and quite interesting some polls done and it it is high up i mean recruitment and pay was the number one on the last session i went to mental health was second and if you can imagine a room full of sort of 50 males I think it was one last year where Carl Stanley stood up from Wembley Stadium and uh, talked about his situation that he's faced there's others out there that I know that have talked about this issue but I I think it's really important to to say that you know people look to the GMA we're, we're not the experts in mental health what we're looking to do is work with the experts that are to enable better member services back out. So you know it's very, it's very much opening up the conversation and making people feel comfortable about being honest about their experiences. I mean, for one of the things that, that we've looked at and we've implemented within our organisation is employer uh, program. Really, it's an employer assistance program which. You know they're they're pretty cheap to operate. If I'm quite honest, and anybody could do this, but it's it's essentially a confidential service providing employees with help or advice on all manner of problems and overall mental health difficulties. And it and it could be lots of drivers that bring you to a point in time. You know, it could be financial issues. It could be, as I say, just relationship issues. It could be work issues. But I think it's important that employers going forward not only look at the salary they offer but the package that they offer because it's easily implemented there are lots of schemes that you can go and shop around for and bring in for your own teams of staff and i think then the benefits outweigh the perceived negatives of it because you're looking at how you deal with mental health and long-term illness if you can stop that at source then you're saving you know not only the employees stress and strains but, but you're actually um Looking after the business as well as the employees, so I think it's a win-win in those situations.
0: Well, by um, coincidence, yeah. Sorry, Jeff, I said by yeah. by uh, coincidence we are recording this on World Mental Health Awareness Day, um, and yeah. I think the GMA is. Uh, and, and, as the golf industry is is very much blessed with some excellent role models um who uh, and, and do you find now that they can perhaps impart some of the uh, issues surrounding uh well being and mental health to to people that they talk to um outside the industry or indeed their own
1: their their own peers like i say i think i mean i've I've had lots of personal chats with with Carl and others I know danny Negus down in eastbourne has Um, talk quite openly on this subject. I think the more people that are willing to have the conversation, the better. But I think it's also important to not over expect of those people who've spoken out because as I say, none of us are professionals We're just people with experiences that can share that and help other people who may be going through something, a crisis at that point in time to get through it. And And that's the main thing. I think it's where it gets to a point where an individual just feels helpless, doesn't feel they've got anybody they can talk to, whether that's through their own personal pride or embarrassment or stigma, as we've mentioned, and feel that there are avenues that you can explore. I mean, people used to think about Samaritans, for example, as I don't I don't need the Samaritans, but there are really good professional people on the end of the line that if you just dial and i'll give you the number it's one one they're there to offer support 24 7 so that's just one example but I, I i would look at all the agencies that would exist i mean i know perennial have, have given off our horticultural based employees support over many 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 years so it's looking at where are the experts and, and making sure that you you open up and have those conversations and, and really don't leave it too late is the key thing
0: yeah you make mention and reference the mental health foundation on your um survey and uh and, and quite a lot is 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 devoted to that i think that what they say is the more you work the, the less free time you have and and the, the more of your free time is spent worrying so i think uh, you know everybody worries about their job and i think it's it's all your experience post Saltex is the experience that a lot of people found, particularly if they've got their own business. I know when I was running my own business, I always seem to be in at weekends. You know that you 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 relax on a Friday night, and and uh, then you're going if you're going to get flu, you're going to get flu on Saturday and Sunday, and then go back on Monday. And it's it's it was strange how that was often so much the case.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just I I think if most people are very conscientious. And if you own a business or if you're in a leadership position you don't want to show weakness that's that's the reality of the situation in in, in my case that was definitely the reality you, you do not want to show any weakness at all and you want to look after the people that you've got around you whether that's your business colleagues or probably your family um as a result of going out of business for example um so that conundrum is, is there to be managed but one of the things you can do is is take some breaks occasionally. You you can have time out. You can go for a walk. You can do whatever it is that floats your boat, really. Mm. Um, and I think it's getting that that sense of you control of things that you can control. I, I've learned that. You know this this year coming into Saltex, I think it may may well be a harder year than last year. But I can't really control that. I, I'm not responsible really. For the global situation that we find ourselves in but if i thought of that thought this time last year i probably would have felt responsible for it which is totally unrealistic but that was the reality and i think it's it's being able to do to uh, delineate and keep keep a sense of balance and perspective really that, that is very very important for managers today and and it is a strain you know we, we've come out of brexit which has impacted on our, our industry We've come through COVID. We've had change. Well, I would like to say we had change of government. It's just our own government keeps changing, and then we've got global conflicts adding to tensions, and climate change, which was the, if if you go back to October a year ago, that was then the most seriously talked about subject on the planet. Now it seems to be about fifth in priorities, mm. and it's almost like the impact of um, climate change and yeah. environmental practices and sustainability is down the agenda. So there's there's lots of different things all happening at, 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 in, in life. And I, I was at a seminar for membership bodies quite recently where there's a very good speaker. described the period that we are all in as chaos. It's a very good summary of it. You know, I, yeah. I think as... People in business, as people just trying to do their daily, daily jobs, you're looking at a very, very unsettled period in time.
0: Uncertain time.
1: Everybody's trying mm. to navigate their way through that.
0: Mm. Mm. And as far as individuals are concerned, I think to sum up a lot of what you said, it's um, it's the phrase which I often hear uh, from people that um, it, it's okay to say I'm not okay. In other words, sh- share your concerns with others. Is, is that a fair comment? Absolutely. Well, look, Jeff. Many thanks for your time and being so open today. I mean, lastly, uh, I'm assumed that uh, with all the caveats about what's going on in the world, you're looking forward to Soltex this year, and and, and everything is uh, uh, as good as you could hope they would be. They will be.
1: Sales have been absolutely great. We we're, we're really pleased with the sales. Um, bigger footprint than last year. We're, we're working hard to make sure we now m- marry up the um, exhibitors with the visitors coming through the door. Um, so, register today. That's the main thing because you want to do it quick. Get your car parking space booked in advance online, and come and see all the new products and innovation. And come and say hello. We'd,
0: yep. we'd love to. Oh, see th- that's fantastic. Well, look, Jeff, I really do thank you for your time today, and um, as I say again, for your openness of, uh, about some of the issues that you've had, and uh, and putting them into perspective. So many thanks indeed, and might I wish you a- again uh, all the best for Saltex 2022 thanks Chris well my that uh, was a graphic and powerful account of what can happen if and when things get on top of you the key message was make time for yourself whatever the external pressures and never be afraid to talk about your feelings and fears I'd like to thank Jeff once again for sharing his story in such an open way and there's some links in the show notes to this episode so I'm Chris Biddle Thank you for joining me and this is Inside Agritov.